the ex-Portuguese colonies in Africa and BRICS because of Brazil. They have one common point. It's always not NATO that threatens Russia. In the case of Africa, I can understand the reason what it is, because historically they were founded um, by Russia and China during what we call the Liberation War. Brazil is uh, the attacks on the USA and Ukraine is on both sides. It's the left and the right wing. Um, because right now Brazil is an extremist society. It doesn't have a middle in the in their political point of view. So for me, it's quite interesting that you are actually pointing out what is um, what is happening in Africa, and um, it's always the same issue. Uh, first, it's NATO that is threatening Russia, and Ukraine is acting as a puppet state of in the US, and it's always the same, and I don't have a solution for the case. Thank you. Thank you so much. Come on, Ivana, go on. So I just wanted to emphasize something regarding Africa, uh, what really prompted me to uh, explore this region more. Uh, first of all, it's needless to say why this particular region is strategically important for both uh, Russia and, and China. And what we are observing right now in the information space, again, is nothing new because even before uh, the Internet Research uh, Agency uh, was invest investing a lot of efforts uh, in, in polarizing uh, Africa. But the reason uh, I'm concerned right now, uh, I started following uh, Russian, um, Russian government uh, social media platforms uh, in Africa, and I saw a very similar narrative, for example, about biolabs, about that for this invasion, the United States is in particular uh, uh, responsible, like a typical uh, pro-Kremlin uh, narrative. And what we are observing right now with the food crisis um, and CNN a few weeks ago, uh, they warned about the food crisis in Africa. Um, it absolutely helps me connect the dots why Russia is doing all these things. Because when you have an economic unrest, it always leads to social unrest. And you need to set informational conditions to blame someone uh, for such an unrest. Um, um, for example, information campaigns in Nigeria are very much like uh, anti-American. In Mali, they're anti-French, but also anti-UN. And you can see a lot of coordinating campaigns. And this makes sense because, as I stated a few weeks ago, CNN also warned about a potential uh, unrest in terms of migration crisis that can go all the way to Europe uh, because Russia is using information as a weapon, food as a weapon. They are using migration as a weapon. Timothy Snyder recently actually tweeted also about this thing. So this just really, really confirms how Russia is using information as a weapon and why that matters. And what really makes me very upset is that... Uh, Europe, for example, because I'm also following their uh, information campaigns, they are not omnipresent in Africa, and we have to. You know, Ivana, something that we've seen here in this space, and it's um, notable because the Walter Report has been broadcasting 24-7 since February 23rd, 23rd uh, are uh, speakers or people who come up to the space to ask a question from Africa uh, or India. Uh, it's not universal, uh, but oftentimes, 90% of the time, 
you will hear the seeds of Russian disinformation planted in their question. Uh, you can almost certainly tell it's coming once you get the, 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 the what about it. Uh, set up. Well, what about this? What about that? What aboutism again gets back to your point of creating confusion or frustration that well maybe all sides are wrong and maybe I don't you know and but we have clearly seen the fruits of Russian disinformation in the um, African media space, uh, the sub uh, Indian subcontinent space, and to a lesser extent, as Spring noted, uh, mm -hmm. in Latin America. Uh, I want to go to Axel, who is one of our regular co-hosts. He was one of the very first uh, members of this space. Uh, Axel, over to you. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, I much appreciate that you have taken the time uh, this evening to join us. Um, we've had the conversations about disinformation so many times here and the outcome, as you just described, is terrible given the fact that so few people <coughs> have uh, invested in hardening the defenses. It seems to me that if you flip through European newspapers, and it doesn't matter in which language, it doesn't matter in which country at the moment, the narrative seems to be set. Uh, Imperius, you have a hot mic. Um, the narrative seems to be set every second, every third day, and whenever um, a weakness, a chink in the chink in the armor of uh, the Russian Federation appears, another narrative is floated. I mean, that's tactical disinformation, and it happens. The strategic disinformation, which you just described, meaning the long preparation for civil unrest um, coinciding with conditions which you set, is one thing. But it seems to me that even on the tactical level, our journalists are not up to it. How would you wish us to assist people or how would you think that we should find ways of creating better understanding amongst the journalists, the fourth estate, who so absolutely, completely fall for these narratives each and every time? Thank you so much for this question. And I've been thinking about this question a lot because I don't think that uh, the majority of journalists in the West are doing that deliberately. It's rather they really don't understand what's happening. And I blame in particular how we define information operations. We have to stop talking about information operations only from the propaganda perspective. Information warfare is a war. Information has been used in the Kremlin as a weapon. And we need to stop. We, we should not undermine the importance of information. That's number one thing. Second thing, we need to explain to the journalists how the Russian military is using this. This is like a stealth weapon, something that you cannot see. And that's a problematic thing because everyone can see Russian missiles, but people cannot see Russian information warfare unless you're really in this field and unless you understand how. Otherwise, you're considered a conspiracy theorist. I remember a few years ago, um, the U.S. government made, uh, made some sort of an experiment. They put forward a really funny tweet, whether you like like a pizza with pineapple or not. And then um, they put such a tweet in the air uh, where people were commenting and it was supposed to be a big campaign actually showing people how information operations work, how information, how these information campaigns operate basically to show how they use those narrative to, um, uh, to uh, 
to polarize people and, and to use to use like a, their emotion. I'm not sure that it was a very successful campaign in the end because uh, it was not widely spread. And I would love to see people and government officials talking about information as a weapon. And once people understand how that works, I think that's going to change the narrative. You know, Ivana, something you said really chimed uh, in, with my experience. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I would be in Germany. Uh, I would be sitting down with German officials, with German industrial leaders, with German think tankers, in which I would hear rote and verse, nearly direct quotes from the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, uh, especially phrases like, well, Nord Stream 2 is just a commercial deal, or well, Russia is just a normal commercial partner for Germany. Uh, all of the talking points that were almost copy-pastes from the Nord Stream 2 pipeline uh, website. Now, do these individuals know that they're reciting wrote and verse what is essentially Russian propaganda? No, I don't believe so. But has their information environment been so, was it so steeped in Russian propaganda that it just became part of the air they breathed? So it, as you said, we need to stop looking at this info as a propaganda campaign in this direction or that direction and start looking at it as infecting the, the oxygen of the political debate that we breathe. I think that was a very good point. Yeah, I mean, you just took like a very, <laughs> very straightforward example, Germany, given, you know, that Russia has been investing in um, in Germany for more than two decades or, or France. But um, now to go back to this to this topic, we really need to everyone is talking about educating people, educating journalists. But what does it mean really to educate and to tell them that this information campaigns, the propaganda works? I mean, certainly it works, but they need to understand the methodology, how it works, because sometimes they deliberately feed you with this information. You're not even aware. Look, I'm following Russian disinfo on a daily basis. I cannot tell you, Peter, how many times I even fall for their trick. Fair enough. Okay, so we, uh, Ivana, so you in. know. May I, just, oh, Peter, may I chime in on this uh, item? Because uh, as you just highlighted, the lack of uh, understanding and capacity for intelligence uh, on such a level and deterrence uh, as to information warfare in uh, the German political industrial environment. That's evident because... The root cause of this is that the German intelligence services changed at the end of the 1960s, beginning of the 1970s, and that was a political decision. And since then, uh, the whole setup has been emasculated and, uh, yeah, it's acting like, I don't know, headless chicken, quite literally. There is no deterrence in the intelligence services in Germany to the extent as needed. That's exactly the point. They're only politically motivated and focused. There has, no been, uh, has not been a coordination as the United States or Britain at least do. Yes, people are undermined and infiltrated from time to time. But in Germany, that is a major issue. And it's politically derived and it starts at the end of the 1960s, continues to the 1970s. And Peter, I can hand it to you. What kind of political shift happened at that point in time and which parties were supported by the KGB and the Stasi for it. We saw a shift away from the Adenauer, I would call it the Adenauer tradition of German politics. Uh, and over decades, it slowly became the Schroeder tradition of German politics. Okay, let's go. I believe let's go with use your brain and then uh, try fly and Leonard. Use your brain, your question. 
you unmuted yourself, but we cannot hear you. Can you check your mic? If not, we will drop you down and get you back right away. Please be request. In the meanwhile, drive by to you and then Leonard. Uh, hello. I was thought I would do a quick comment. I love this discussion. Um, Ivana, I have a question for you. Um, are you familiar with the four Ds of disinformation? I don't know who came up with it, but it's been heavily promoted by the EU as a way to help people defend themselves from disinformation. And uh, the four Ds are, you know, distraction. Uh, what is it? I, I'd have to look them up, but um, hold on just a minute. Dismiss, dis distort, distract, and dismay. Um, they use them usually in a sequence, starting with um, uh, dismiss and distract. Uh, and then finally, at the end, if they haven't been successful, they just try to demotivate you through by making you be dismayed or depressed. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Which one is the most important generally? And which would you say you see most commonly in the correspondence and uh, media coverage of uh Ukraine, and I will listen. Thank you. Thank you so much. So uh, um, I just Googled this thing because I have a, there are so many numerous um, prerequisites, actually, that, that, that this information campaigns uh, entail to. Um, uh, I don't know this particular, uh, I don't know this particular uh, model. Uh, I think the Russian military is using, I just Google it, uh, all of them. I don't know which one they can use more, but one thing that they are definitely they probably have also different strategies for different regions. Like I think one of the one of the interesting things that I observed in the American information space is that they are really really doing a lot to uh, influence apathy um, in the United States and completely to lose the trust that things can be even changed, which is really also in a collision of um, emphasizing more emotions. Um, they like to certainly, you know, distort the truth. I mean, the Russian government is doing that on a daily basis. I mean, Maria Zakharova is an expert uh, on such a thing. Uh, one of the most interesting things for me is uh, how they use information to distract us uh, from what, what matters more or less. And that is also, you know, part of the reflexive control that I was talking about earlier. So uh, I really don't know which one they prefer more or less, but I think they are really doing that in a more uh, holistic way using all those tactics that you just mentioned, which are only part of the tactics that I just mentioned earlier. Well, I will send you a link if you want, if your DMs are open. Um, it's actually the EU did a big... Um education effort i think it was like 2018 and that was where i first yeah i'm read just it. looking at it mm -hmm. yeah I just saw it. yeah that's worth reading and that opened up my eyes because it was the same tactics that were used by bannon for example in the u.s elections so it was like wow and i first stumbled across the whole concept when i was a, a lowly uh admin at a forum that was just getting hammered by trolls and i didn't understand it so i spent a some time educating myself and that actually is a very good model to understand their methodology. And I, I mean, will be it's only, mm -hmm. it's only one part because, as I stated, you know, they can also use provocations. They really use penetration, what you just mentioned over there, fabrication. They also use agents of influence. I mean, that's also oh, very much so. Story. Propagation. Exactly. You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You mentioned why the U.S. Army program didn't 
didn't spread. And I could tell you it's because they didn't have active propagation. Um, the Russians very much actively propagate. And I found that out when I was uh, doing uh, an admin exactly. helping. It was clear that there were some pro uh, uh, per uh, uh, people who are just there to push the conversation and then step back. So anyway, I will listen now. Thank you. I mean, you really also have to have to look at the numerous new emerging even journalists uh, on, on Twitter uh, that are uh, independent journalists. They actually oftentimes uses, uh, are used as agents of influence. So uh, these, are th these things are really real. Um, yeah, next question. Yep. Oh, this is great. All right. So, Ivana, you have uh, really uh, stirred up a lot of interest. Uh, we have a full bank of hands. Uh, if this was a sporting event, we're, I would consider us in the fourth quarter here. So I want to get as many people to ask their questions as possible. I would add, I'm going to go through these uh, as efficiently as possible. If everyone can be very focused uh, as uh, Drunkfly was and asking your question, that would be great. All right. So let's go first to Imperius. Oh, excuse me, Leonard, and then Imperius. Sorry, Leonard, you first. And don't forget to share and retweet the space. It's a violet button on the bottom right. Uh, just comment it or make a comment and then uh, share or retweet the comment that you make in that thread. It actually helps. And please tag our co-host and tag our guest, Ivana Stradner. And to you, Leonard. Uh, yes, uh, thank you, Walter. And also thank you, Peter. Uh, and especially uh, thank you to Ivana for the uh, the fantastic insights and the perspectives that you're you are unfolding for us here. Uh, I'd just like to ask you, hopefully, a quick question, but from uh, from a, a two different perspectives. Firstly, I'm in Canada, and we uh, are intimately familiar with the some of the disinformation tactics and so on that that flow out of the out of, the, out of Russia and and specifically the Putin regime. Uh, and uh, we also we pay great attention to the American uh, uh, media uh, market. And some we, we watch always with fascination, but sometimes with horror as to what unfolds in the United States. And specifically, as we watch the sausage-making process that goes on through the, uh, through the, the, uh, the polity and into Congress and so on. But uh, just uh, shortly, I'd ask you firstly for your, your uh, perhaps opinion or uh, projection from from your uh, vantage point as to what you think the impact or what what kind of positive impact we may anticipate in the the overall uh, disinformation uh, package, if you will, uh, towards the United States and flowing out of Russia once the uh, this whole Ukraine thing is is uh, sufficiently put to bed and hopefully. The Putin regime sufficiently muted and or removed or whatever the outcome. But for, so that, that's the first question. Do you see any any longer term hope for a diminishment in in the adverse impacts out of uh, out of Russia? And I, I'd sort of just uh, close out part with uh, Churchill's quote that uh, the the uh, Americans could always be counted upon to do exactly the right thing but only after every other potential uh, option had been totally exhausted. So in Canada, we're hopeful that, uh, that, uh, that that's precisely the road we're headed on. And then secondly, I have a question with yeah, Rhythm Stone Austria. Leonard, let's stay focused on one question uh, for each uh, speaker just in the sure. interest of time. But okay, I, fair I, enough. I, 
I think your Churchill. Yeah, thank you, quote, thank you, That was I. You you always get me with a Churchill quote, so well done. Uh, Ivan, <laughs> the road ahead. I like very much the Churchill quote, uh, and I agree. I agree with that one. Uh, but um, I'm actually not sure that uh, even after Putin, uh, Russia's information operations will stop. This has been part of Russia's military strategy for almost a century, and I do not see why Russia will uh, ever uh, uh, abandon such a powerful tool, uh, because make no mistake, it's a really strategic non-nuclear uh, weapon for Russia. Uh, and Russia understands that the best way uh, to challenge uh, the West and especially the United States is in a symmetric space, uh, in a symmetric uh, uh, way, such as in cyberspace and in the information space, and it works. Uh, as I stated, you know, I, I really, I cannot foresee the future, but I'm just saying, even after the end of the Cold War, uh, when we hoped that Russia was going towards a more dem democratic place, um, uh, Russia was actually uh, developing and using even uh, back then um, information uh, campaigns regionally. Um, so I I'm not sure that Russia will abandon such a powerful tool. Okay, uh, let's go to, uh, thank you, Leonard. Uh, let's go next to Imperius. Uh, Imperius, if you're there, if not, yep. we'll go. Mic check, okay. mic check, sure. Loud and clear. Uh, hi, Ivana. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I was actually a bit curious uh, as to what you uh, expect to see out of uh, the kind of offensive information operations uh, we need, um, especially uh, considering that off the top of my head, the only real one I can think of right now is, is entirely grassroots in the uh, North Atlantic uh, fellow organization uh, that, that basically goes around trolling the trolls, as it were. Um, so I was really curious as to thought uh, where where the sort of focus and I, should I, be and what techniques. Um, so I already wrote a couple of pieces about uh, offensive information operations and understand that many people in the West, especially in the United States, as Peter stated, feel very uncomfortable with this topic. Um, and I understand why, uh, but also as I stated, I think I'm also um, a rational, not a wishful uh, academic and understand the severity of this threat um, and I think that Russia should be challenged in information space as well. Um, this war has taught us that every single time uh, when we show Russia uh, teeth, Russia actually, um, uh, Russia actually uh, does not push uh, forward with its campaigns. Having said that, let me give you a few very concrete examples. Uh, we need to exploit Russia's um, weaknesses and they are very very um, visible if you read carefully russia's national security strategy uh, or uh, cybersecurity uh, documents uh, in the russian government uh, russia has this paranoia that uh, we are destroying russia's moral and uh, moral values and um, by promoting democracy in the region and at this point given that russia's information space is very, very difficult to penetrate at this point, given the latest law that was uh, uh, enacted this um, earlier this spring, uh, where Russia banned uh, major social media platforms, even though people can use them um, if they use VPNs, 
But I'll give you a few examples. I think what uh, Schwarzenegger did with that video was a step in the right direction, but it was not fully and greatly executed. To begin with, um, yes, it was translated into Russian and it was uh, shared on on um, on not only in Twitter, but let's say in Telegram, but it was not shared all the most popular Russian um, media platforms, including, for example, we contact, or at least I didn't see that. Second thing, um, we also need to use offensive information operations inside Russia, for example, to peddle information about the corruption in the country. Look, if we, we have to use mirror image uh, inside Russia, we cannot use information operations with our American mind. We need to think like uh, young Russians in the way, they, for example, that they're uh, thinking back home. Um, no way that we can at this point peddle any information about typical democracy promotion, uh, liberal world order, these are way too abstract concepts for uh, for the Russians, especially young Russians. So one of the ways that I'm thinking, for example, is uh, to use social media influencers um, who uh, who are dissidents um, uh, across the globe um, to use them actually to convey the truth to young Russians, because you and me will never be able to do it. We are like a fifth column. Uh, for, for for the Russians, but uh, if a Bolshoi ballerina who has I don't know million follower and is well liked by the Russians conveys such a message, that's something else. Um, we I think also need to provide the Russians with more information on how to use VPNs. Uh, I think the United States has done quite a good job, but it's not enough uh, on how to use the dark web. So there are different ways that we can you know, provide them with the access to the Western media. Now, again, the question is how many people actually read um, uh, our tweets? Only 3% of the Russians actually use Twitter. Uh, but we also need to uh, use, for example, uh, uh, other social media platforms such as Vcontact or Telegram. I'll give you another example. Uh, I follow very closely also what the Western embassies are doing in the Russian social media space. I mean, don't get me wrong, but the majority of those posts are tremendously boring. They don't use emojis. They do not use uh, car colorful um, uh, pictures uh, and very powerful messages. They're very dry. And these are all tactics that Russia is using and they, they work. And as I state, you know, some of those messages cannot affect you and me. Uh, but uh, I think we need to start from somewhere. Uh, and it's not a rocket science uh, to do all these things. We need creativity and we need mirror, uh, uh, mirror imaging. We cannot use our Western approach if we want to counter Russia in the information space. And Iperius, if I could just uh, you know, tail, uh, dovetail with what Ivan said, I would also stress humor and satire. Uh, exactly. Humor and satire are devastating weapons to discredit the Russian leadership, expose their corruption. Uh, it, oftentimes, you know, having a bunch of bureaucrats in a room say, oh, let's debunk a Russian myth uh, is less effective than a viral satirical campaign against Putin. Exactly. I mean, look, let's be frank. I mean, even back during the Cold War, the United States used modern art like Jackson Pollock to spread information about liberty across Eastern Europe, um, let alone American Hollywood movies and American jazz. These are all very real things. 
you need to really uh, appeal to their hearts and minds. Again, one other thing that I need to emphasize, there is a huge anti-American sentiment in Russia. And if those messages are coming directly from Russia, uh, from the United States, they will actually not lead to the out outcome that we want to have. We need to find creative, um, uh, creative ways of doing that. And that's why I'm insisting, of, uh, I would love to see more Russian dissidents using their power um, to convey such a messaging. And Peter, you just mentioned one of the very creative solution about uh, using um, uh, using humor, especially uh, using humor really to appeal to them, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, Imperius, do you have a quick follow-up, I see? Yeah, uh, I, I just wanted to state that the uh, technical term for what you uh, brought up, Peter, is shitposting the Russians to death. Well, I think of, you know, one example recently, I don't know if it was an info op, uh, but um, the story of Putin's poop case, uh, this story that Putin travels around the world with a suitcase where he deposits his, uh, let's say, uh, toilet business so that foreign intelligence agencies can never get a look at his poop. Uh, that is that was wild. It went nuts on the Internet. Uh, also, the Ukrainian meme army has just been uh, very effective. Uh, and I don't think the Russians have been as effective. So these are all great examples of offensive operations. All right, so uh, we've got a couple more hands. In the time we have left with you, Ivana, I wanna get through them. Uh, hold on, use your mind, I think we had you. Did you drop down? Oh no, you were here and you're gone. Okay, uh, if you wanna come back, we'll get to you. Uh, next is uh, 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 Jua, you're up. Yep, thank you, thank you very much. Really, really interesting what, you, what you're saying, Ivan. Thank you that you have that you're here. Uh, you started uh, by telling this uh, story or this strategy that uh, just spreading everything possible and something will stick. And in uh, the recent weeks, I have there are two things which I have been repeating uh, in various discussions. One is this principle of firehose of falsehood, where you just spread all kind of things the public and good example was this when the uh, shopping mall was hit with a rocket first uh, they said it was the Ukrainians then they said it was the adjacent uh, military complex and the fire spread out to the uh, shopping mall then they said that the shopping mall was hit but it hasn't been used since years you know in, within 24 day, uh, hours the story changed and it was a good example of just something just push out some some crap that someone will believe and, and the story which the most will believe will then become the truth. And another thing which I have been repeating is uh, Darvo, D-A-R-V-O, uh, which is also a strategy, deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. That's also a very well and often used tactic. And uh, previously it was also said that humor is a good tool and I think that the memes which the Ukrainians are now spreading uh, it, it's a brilliant thing because they reveal what actually everyone in Russia knows because there's this famous quote from from Solzhenitsyn that uh, we are lying and everyone knows that we are lying and uh, they know that they are lying and still or you know I think you know the quote but anyway Solzhenitsyn had put it quite brilliantly that everyone in Russia knows that everyone is lying and the, uh, but uh, actually nobody dares to speak it out. Uh, but then uh, to come to my actual question, 
you said that the information space would be difficult to penetrate, but uh, I have to admit that I was shocked when I heard that the French company, uh, uh, how do you pronounce it in, I don't know, Eutelsat, Eutelsat, <laughs> you say in Germany, Eutelsat, but anyway, Sorry? anyway, they, the, this com French company, uh, they, uh, their satellite feed the Russian propaganda television channel uh, to the almost half of the Russian population. And for a big part of the Russian population, not internet or VPN is relevant, but basically the, the television is the main information channel. And when Russia asked uh, Eutelsat to remove the Western channels from the satellite, uh, the question is where they really, uh, are they really forced to, to do that? Because that is against all like Western standards of inform openness of information and, you know, and uh, I think that uh, what the West could do would just push back the Western channels so that they were accessible, if not even replace the channel position where the Russian channels are, uh, just change the position of the channels so that they, the, when they, uh, well, switch on their TV sets, they would get some other channel instead of Russia One. And my plane, sorry, that my question, do you know if, if, it, if Eutelsat was legally uh, forced to close down the Western things? And what do you think about this idea of using these satellite transmissions as sort of weapon? Thank you. Uh, Thank you. This is a really, really great question because one of the parts when I talk about information operations, not only in the cyberspace, not only in the social media, but also using uh, old good uh, Cold War techniques. What you just mentioned um, is a very similar idea to what BBC actually did. So they actually, because BBC was banned in Russia, they decided to go back to the using like a short wave radio uh, to have access. Uh, so, so the Russians can have, can have access to, uh, to uh, BBC. And I would really love to see more Western um, social, if not social, more Western media platforms using such, you know, creative, um, uh, creative patterns. As I stated, you know, when I said that it's not easy to penetrate, I, I, I think it's in part like two things. On one side, you know, young Russians can always use, use you know, VPN systems. And if they want to find information, they will find it. The second thing is the problem is also with uh, older generations. I'm not trying to be here on ages, but, uh, you know, what is their, uh, app, what, what kind of access they have to social media and whether they use it. So that could be one of the ways, you know, that they can, that we can actually exploit this system. Uh, but we are really late. Uh, we should have done it long time ago, but this is what it is. So it's better to start doing that now with new narratives, uh, shaping, um, shaping the perception and the information space. Um, and also, uh, we need to, again, I don't know what's happening on the ground uh, because the majority of such information is probably classified, but it also uh, to uh, information operations are used to boost the morale of uh, Russian military. So uh, what I see also what Ukrainians are doing, they're doing quite you know, well, for example, in that space. I don't want to jump to a new topic, but this just, you know, um, 
popped up. So to go back to your question, uh, yes, I think this is a good idea. And I would love to see more media platforms going back to uh, old Cold War techniques such as um, uh, short uh, wave radios, whether it will be useful or not. Um, we'll see. Okay, we- okay, um, Thank you, thank you very we, much. Uh, I, I just thank, thank you, you for your question. Say uh, close with a with a Churchill quote: "A lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance chance to get its pants on." That was from Churchill. Thank you. Everyone loves Churchill on this spaces. We have we have created a theme for this discussion. Uh, let's go to uh, Ivana. If you can uh, spare with us maybe five more minutes of your time, uh, we'll go to Axel sure. and then Nina. I'm who happy been... to do that. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, Axel, are you there? Mic check? I think we're on co-host glitch. Uh, we'll get back to Axel right away. Okay. Uh, thank you, and th thank you, Ivana, for uh, this really interesting uh, discussion here about uh, information war. Uh, I, I have uh, like uh, two things. Uh, first, a short question. Do you know uh, somebody who is called Jessica Aro and uh, who wrote the book Putin's Trolls? Ivana? I'll just uh, shoot your second question. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Uh, <clears throat> my, uh, is it a question or, or um, but I'm thinking of uh, how difficult it is to change anything in Russia because it's been going on for such a long time, this, <clears throat> this tactic, what they have, uh, this, um, uh, like, um, information, war and uh, I'm thinking of uh, like education in the western world how important that is to uh, fight the in, like the Russian information uh, war uh, in Finland we are quite uh, like uh, educated and uh, we know we have seen this information war for going on such a long time and uh, uh, I'm just thinking of like uh, we can't maybe change Russia from inside, but we can change our own behavior in the Western world to to educate educate ourselves more and also with this uh, uh, Russian propaganda, what it really is as a like a war. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so first of all, I think Finland uh, and neighboring countries are really great examples of how to, for the West and how to defend itself from the Russian propaganda. That's absolutely true. And I totally agree with you that Finland in particular knows how to defend itself. When it comes to promoting uh, a narrative, I'm not saying, I never said that it would be easy. On the contrary, I think it will be very, very uh, challenging for the West to shape the perception inside Russia at this point. Uh, but as I stated, uh, it's better to do it in 2022 than to wait into 2032. Um, uh, uh, we already missed numerous opportunities since the end of the Cold War, and uh, I've been very, very critical of the use of American information operations after the end of the Cold War and how many opportunities we missed so far. Uh, but it's really high time for the U.S. government to change this narrative and to start winning hearts and minds uh, across uh, the world. Not this is not only a wishful thinking. This is not we are we should not be doing out of 
of charity for people who are realists. This is absolutely in American interest too. Uh, we just need to uh, have a very clear strategy and stop being allergic to offensive information operation. Thank, Thank you, Ivana. Yes, not uh, this attitude that not being afraid, like uh, this is very important. Uh, Putin is making all this posturing and threatening, threatening but uh, we should not be afraid because it's just uh, it just emboldens him. I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I oftentimes, you know, speak even uh, with or different governments uh, across uh, in Europe. They're really even afraid to challenge Russia in the information space, not to provoke Putin. And that's precisely what Russia wants. Um, um, you really, really, I highly recommend that you go and to read very carefully Russian national security strategy to understand for the first time in 2021, they, uh, they uh, they devoted a separate section on the information security, which really tells you all you need to know, how much they pay attention to it, and they openly even are discussing their vulnerabilities uh, uh, to American uh, information operations. Again, uh, what I'm saying here, uh, maybe I could be, and all of us completely wrong, maybe America is doing a lot in this thing, given that such campaigns would be uh, classified at this point, but what I'm seeing um, inside Russia and within the narrative, I'm not very positive that we are doing enough. I have no doubt we have done such a great job in, for uh, like when it comes to uh, defending ourselves since February here in the United States, uh, but this is really not. Thank you, uh, Nina. All right, so uh, for everyone in the audience, make sure that you, uh, if you're interested in the kind of insight and analysis that Ivana brings to bear, uh, make sure you are following her at Ivana Spradler. You can just click on her and follow her along. Axel, are you, uh, can you uh, can you speak now? Did we get you back? Sounds like it. The audio was completely lost. I apologize for the inconvenience, Ivana. Uh, my question was simple. The strategy which you are highlighting is extremely important, but it would have been more important in peacetime. We've lost that opportunity. It's very hard to reach young Russians at the moment because they are now engulfed in this trance of uh, national fervor. What do we do with them after a defeat? Because the defeat will lead to containment. There's no way to force a reckoning like with the Germans after the Second World War. Containment does not work well with giving many carrots. It's a lot of stick. How do we do this then? Okay. <clears throat> I absolutely agree with you. When I talk about, you know, all the opportunities that we missed so far, I absolutely refer to uh, American use of information operations during the peacetime, which we uh, have not done since the end of the Cold War. And as I stated earlier, uh, we should uh, engage in offensive information operations. It's not going to be an easy, uh, an, an easy job for us uh, at this point, especially given anti-American and anti-Western sentiment. But as I stated, we need to use mirror imaging. We cannot use our Western perceptions when it comes to information operations because the way that Russia is conducting information operations inside the United States they're not using the Russian minds. They really use the American minds. The third thing regarding carrots and sticks. Um, I think this particular question is um, 
not maybe even directly related to the information uh, operations, um, uh, but rather uh, on how to use uh, sticks after uh, this intervention. Um, um, that's a totally separate story. And I absolutely agree with you that carrots will not bring, uh, will make uh, Russia uh, a kinder and a softer nation and its leader, uh, but rather uh, we need to really uh, use uh, sticks. But that's a separate uh, story that we can discuss sometime um, later. Okay, thank you. Sorry, but the follow-up is then clear. What information would you like to dispel? What information would you like to convey when they're... Okay, so uh, okay, so I was talking. I don't know if you heard, uh, but I was talking about specific narratives that we need to that we need to use at this point. Okay, I see now you're asking me about uh, uh, after the defeat. To begin with, we need to change the mindset of the Russians, um, uh, the mindset of the Russians uh, completely. To uh, we need to change their imperialistic. Uh, policies, and it's going to take decades, make no mistake. You cannot just wake up one day and conduct uh, an offensive information operations campaign uh, trying to convince the Russians that, ele- that suddenly democracy in the West are awesome. Look, I mean, you really just have to look what's happening even in the Balkans. After the end of the wars during the 90s, it has been three decades. The region is going back to the war. People don't, they're not anymore, any of those Western Balkan nations are not a democratic nations. They're really on the verge of a new war. And that's because it, it has taken three decades for a, for a region that is much closer to Europe than Russia. We even failed there. And that's what I'm saying. It's going to take decades to change the perception. But I cannot emphasize enough. We need to start today rather than to wait additional three decades uh, to uh, uh, to start with such campaigns. That's the only, you know, comment that I have. Well Axel, said. Go on. Well I would I, I absolutely agree. Axel, I would also suggest uh, one of the narratives that we must forward is wars are ultimately bad for Russia. Wars kill Russian sons. Wars are not, should not be the future uh, of Russia. And, uh, uh, look, Peter... Uh, I'm, so, I'm so glad that you brought this thing because one other thing that we need to use uh, when it comes to information operations in one nowadays, we need to target messaging towards Russian mothers. Uh, we already know the role that Russian mothers actually play um, after the and after the church. There should be number one messaging, if I may use military term, a target for us. Um, I'm not saying that using information warfare, it can, at this point, uh, put more people, more Russia in the streets, you know, that they, they, they are going to change the regime, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but we need to really start from somewhere. And we need to have a clear strategy. Who is our targeting for messaging? Who is our audience? And as I stated, I cannot emphasize this thing enough, because even when I see how the U.S. government, for example, is using um, its social media space that we are really not using enough mirror imaging. 
All right. So Ivana has been so gracious with her time. Uh, John, I want to. I know we have a lot of more hands. I know we could probably go for two or three hours. Uh, but uh, John, uh, I'm going to give you the last question. Uh, Ivana, John has been a regular co-host and contributor to this space. I always learn from his questions. Uh, be on your guard, though. John always asks a very in intelligent and tough question. So John, I'm gonna give you the, the final question uh, of the uh, conversation here. Uh, thank you very much, Peter. And thank you, Ivana, for joining us today. What I want to ask you about is regarding the, the broader global information war, you know, it's not just happening in the United States, in Canada, in Europe, you know, in Ukraine, in Russia, it's also happening in many of these third countries in you know, South and Central America, Africa, India, Southeast Asia. Um, how important are these third-party countries uh, to the overall, you know, outcome of the information war? And how does waging, either offensively or defensively, um, an information war in a third country um, affect the, you know, the calculus, the methods that you use? Um, great question, John. And actually, at the beginning of, of this discussion, I discussed uh, what Russia is doing in Africa and how Russia creates, for example, the pro-Kremlin narrative regarding Russia's invasion on Ukraine, that the Internet Research Agency is present in every single uh, place where you had also Wagner groups over there. I explained what Russia is doing actually in Mali, where they're uh, using like anti-French and anti-United Nations narratives, how they're using uh, uh, Russian uh, information campaigns, for example, to rally people to support them in the, to support Russia in the United Nations. Uh, I absolutely do see this pattern. I'm so glad that you mentioned this thing because, as I stated at the very beginning, many people on Twitter has uh, have declared the victory of the West uh, in the information space, and I don't see these things. I'm following quite, you know, closely what's happening in Africa. I'm following what's happening um, in, in the Balkans. Uh, one of uh, uh, one of our followers actually emphasize what happened in Brazil. I'm not following closely what's happening there, but I do know uh, uh, that Russia has a huge influence um, in Latin America um, and how they're using the media space. Why they're doing that? They're doing, the, they're doing the information operations in all those countries as a proxy, uh, as a proxy states. I gave an example of Africa where Russia is using information to uh, given, you know, the food crisis, for example, uh, every time when you have an economic crisis, it leads to social crisis. And uh, uh, what might actually happen, they can also, uh, when you have a when they have a food crisis, for example, it can lead to more migration. So they can use even that as a weapon and use uh, information uh, to, to boost such a migration towards Europe and to create chaos in Europe. Uh, we already saw the very similar pattern since 2014. Uh, and this is precisely, you know, what I mentioned also at the beginning, why we need to challenge Russia in the information space uh, globally. Uh, we need to learn more about their tactics. We need to put Russia on defense in all those places. And to, for example, um, in particular, for example, now when I'm speaking about Africa, uh, to actually spread the truth, what Russia is doing there, how much Russia is investing, because Russia is strategically investing oftentimes in very interesting spaces, like in energy sector, in the information, in, in, in media, they, they oftentimes invest in sports to rally all those groups uh, that support them, um, in the church, in religion. Uh, so uh, 
yes, Russia is definitely challenges, challenging the West also elsewhere, um, elsewhere globally, uh, uh, because it, it did the same thing, for example, uh, during the Cold War. Just remember what, uh, what was the narrative for AIDS campaign. And uh, I also mentioned at the beginning of what Russia is doing, you know, with biolabs and, um, and, and a nuclear weapons campaigns uh, globally. Uh, it's the same narrative that Russia is, for example, spreading. Uh, the Russian government is you really just have to look at the narratives uh, in South Africa, for example, uh, how the Russian ministry, how, how the Russian embassy there is spreading such narratives. Um, two things. Um, uh, Russia is doing that to rally people and to, uh, uh, to use them um, as proxies for the West. And the second point that I want to emphasize, yes, I think we really need to, along with our European allies, to challenge Russia in the information space in all those countries. I mentioned Africa, and unless we stop the food crisis over there, I am more than certain it will have a huge impact on the European uh, security this fall. Um, later this uh, later this summer and in the fall specifically. Excellent, Ivana. Uh, we started out this conversation discussing the what uh, of Russian info ops. Uh, we shifted away from admiring the problem to looking at uh, its significance and counter strategies, uh, and we have essentially come to the conclusion of our conversation by looking at specific actionable narratives as Axel and others asked uh, for how we can push back, mechanisms for pushing back. Uh, I still have a catalog of questions in my DMs, a lot of questions about uh, Russian disinfo in the Balkans, questions about specific questions about uh, attacks against our political conversation here in the US uh, and others. We will not be able to get to them because uh, I do wanna be um, you know, careful with your time. Uh, you've been so generous. Ivana, can I ask you this? Uh, would you like to come back uh, and join us again in this space at some point in the future so we can continue this conversation? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Peter and Walter, for inviting me. I really, really enjoy these spaces and your questions. Um, I will continue certainly to write uh, about all these things. So uh, before I come back, you can definitely read my my uh, articles and all those questions. But I cannot wait really to come back and to discuss this. In my view, one of the most pressing issues uh, right now given how Russia is using information as a stealth weapon. Thank you, Ivana. And again, uh, over to you, Axel. But Ivana, speaking on behalf of the audience here and, and uh, as a co-host for this uh, discussion, uh, my personal thanks to you. It is spaces like this and inputs like yours that are helping to win the information war right now. Thank you. Spot on, Peter. And thank you, Ivana. Let's be happy warriors. Let's go to war and win this. I agree. All righty. Uh, John, I'll hand over to you for a few minutes. And uh, Peter, thank you very much. I shall hope that we can speak with Ivana, uh, with you definitely, in uh, the next few weeks again. Thank you. Cheers, Axel. Thank you. Much appreciated. And everybody in the audience, please give Ivana and Peter a big hand because it was an exceptionally good interview. And we sincerely appreciate uh, how this fits into the mold of what we're trying to achieve here, creating information awareness in order to support Ukraine in its war for freedom, which is essentially the war they are fighting for all of us. Thank you. Thank you, Ivana. Thank you very much. Over to you, John. Uh, thank you very much, Axel. Uh, pleasure to be back on. Uh, what was the, uh, I'm not sure if you were on then, Axel, I hopped on shortly after the uh, uh, 
uh, interview with Ivan and Bergen, uh, but what were we discussing um, uh, prior to the interview? I want to get an idea of where we uh, left off. I think we had questions from our Finnish contingent beforehand, but then again, I jumped into the interview right away after having a conference call, so I, must, I will be equally misinformed. I apologize. Well, in that case, uh, let's just go to some hands. Um, oh, Moose is joining us. I uh, can't go wrong with going to hands. Uh, Nina, please go. Nina, can you hear us? The mic is all yours. Oh, sorry. Yeah, can you hear me now? Loud and clear. Yes, it was such a great uh, to have Ivan here and to hear this. Also, it was uh, really scary to get like a, a bigger view of this situation of the warfare, information warfare, which actually is really the war also in the whole world. And I have seen it also in the Middle East, because I know some people there and uh, I know, I heard that the propaganda, Putin's propaganda is like uh, spreading also there really effectively. But if we see this as huge, it's huge, like uh, how I thought I had a pretty good picture of this, but this gave like so much uh, more clearer picture of, of this whole thing. And this is, I don't know how we are going to uh, solve this thing. Uh, as Ivana said, it will take de decades, at least in, 